0: Welcome to a World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me for this episode is my co-host, Martin Gray. How are you, Mart?
1: Hi there, I'm fine, Billy. Thanks, not too bad at all. Well,
0: good to hear from you. It's been a little while since we spoke, you know, uh, recorded a, an episode together. I think you and I specifically was, uh, we talked about a Christmas uh, comic from DC, you know, Christmas with the superheroes uh, right before the holidays there. That was nice. And then you were also on... Uh, an episode of uh, the show All Star Squadron here, and uh, we talked about, I think it was the Black Dragon Society, was it, it not? Was
1: that the Black Dragon Society, and there's a, a bit of a callback to that story in this issue, or in this storyline, mm. these three issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be talking about All Star Squadron 38, 39, and 40. So big episode here. So I won't dilly dally too much, you know, with the pleasantries because we have a lot to talk about, but. This was a good one from Roy, you know, again, it's, you know, 1984, but still, this was a pretty polarizing story. He basically took, you know, a, a real uh, world event that happened in the United States during, you know, the 1940s and kind of adapted it into a comic book story here. And, you know, you, you and I, like we talked beforehand here for a minute uh, before we started recording, we think he did a pretty admirable job, right?
1: I think he did. He, you know, he mixes in, as you say, the, the real world history, he puts a twist on it, Earth 2 style. Brings back one of my favorite new characters from the series. Loads of characterization, loads of action, very thought provoking. Definitely worth talking about.
0: Yeah, and I mean, right off the bat from issue 38's cover, he doesn't mess around
1: here. There's no mystery. You know what you're going to get, and you know
0: it's going to be a, a really polarizing story. Um, you know, so that's all. You know, there's, like I said, there's no mystery here. You see what you're going to get. And it's it's pretty, you know, if you think about it for 1984, it was a a pretty wild story for somebody to you know write and edit and for dc to put out you know it's obviously there have been stories about you know racism and subjects like that beforehand but this is like i said this this cover right here at 38 you know the first part of the story here you see right away what you're going to get and it's wow it's pretty shocking it really is with i mean
1: should we describe the cover to let the readers the readers this is just in case they don't know the cover
0: yeah, this is a Rick Holberg and Jerry Ordway cover to issue thirty-eight, which, uh, like I said, came out nineteen eighty-four. And yeah, you want to describe the cover here? We wow, we see amazing man, and he's trussed up on a cross, like uh, chained up, and fire all around him. And then I love floating head covers too. So you have you know the all stars with the floating heads all around him, and then we have this. Uh, well, basically, what amounts to is a KKK uh, uh, guy here. They you know they have a different name for these. Uh, uh, awful people in this uh, comic. He doesn't call them the KKK, but that's
1: basically what they are. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that Roy did shy away from calling them the KKK because what they call the the, fan, the Phantom uh, what well, the Phantom League, something like that. We'll get that in a moment. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I wonder if when the comic came out in the early eighties, whether still still a little faction and so many little factions of the KKK in the South, it dc were maybe a, a little reticent because wasn't it in, wasn't it in the 60s when they were there was still sort of you know very very scared of you know having problems with black characters in case the just the distribute distributors got cold feet
0: yeah 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 oh absolutely yeah there were some times even i know in the 70s you know there were times where you know uh, some writers wanted to do some i don't want to say controversial stories but you know stories that were definitely you know like you said to use that term again polarizing or very you know thought provoking and they were told yeah no we're not really interested in doing those stories because i think most of them thought oh well uh, some part of our readership won't want to read that or doesn't want to read that and it might hurt our sales which you know i kind of feel like i get that from a company perspective but i also think hey if you have a good writer and artist that want to tell a story you know uh Sometimes sales charts be damned. You know, if it's a story that is something powerful and needs to be written and drawn, it, you
1: need to do it. Definitely, these attitudes need to be challenged, and it's it's created bit by bit. The writers did push forward, and the editors backed them. And you know, when we we did get characters finally, you know, like Mal and Black Panther, and people coming to prominence. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yep. And
1: that, that's again. And this was you know when things you know boundaries were
0: pushed, good things you know happened. So. All right. Well, yeah. So we're like I said, we're going to do the issues 38, 39 and 40. I'm going to synopsize 38 and 40, and you're going to jump in in the middle with 39 there. So, uh, yeah, if you're ready to rock and roll here, we'll get started. Let's do it. All right. So, yeah, uh, issue number 38, uh, Detroit is Dynamite. And it's uh, Roy Thomas, writer, editor, Rick Hoberg and Bill Collins and Mike DiCarlo Art and David Cody Weiss Letters and Gene DeAngelo Colors. Uh, our story begins already in progress as Commander Steel and Robot Man are attempting to stop a bank robbery by an experimental flame throwing tank. Robot Man gets his legs melted off, but Commander Steel stops the tank right before it's about to run him over. Our heroes then hear a broadcast on a radio that tells of the Axis capture of Captain Brad Farley, who we know is the husband of Gloria, which is Commander Steel's ex girlfriend. He promises Gloria that he'll go to Europe to find and rescue Captain Farley. Then the duo arrives back at the Paris Fair and interrupts some hanky-panky between Liberty Bell and Johnny Quick. <laughs> the rest of the All-Stars eventually file in and they see a newsreel from overseas. But then we see Hawkman and Green Lantern come in and they have an even more horrific newsreel for them to watch. It shows Detroit being besieged by a fanatical racist that attacked some black men. They captured one of the men, tied him to a cross, and attempted to burn him. And it turns out to be Amazing Man. And then he frees himself and chases them off. The all-stars then decide they must travel to Detroit ASAP to help stop the, air quotes, real American and his radicals. All right, Mark, so what'd you think of this one?
1: A powerful beginning to a, to an excellent three issues. It's, I mean, this wasn't a period of American history that I knew much about when I was reading this as a teenager originally. And to find out that this was actually still going on. I mean, obviously, I, I, I knew that the attitudes prevailed in some parts of the US again against African-Americans. And I knew that even, you know, 20, 30 years before, D.W. Griffith had made that terrible Birth of a Nation film, which was basically, you know, eulogising the Ku Klux Klan, but to yeah. find out that you know, in the midst of in the midst of war, that people were still turning on one another like that, it was it was just shocking.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, <laughs> the issue starting out with the robot man and Commander Steel and that tank is kind of funny. But yeah, it, the the issue quickly goes within a few pages from that, and like I said, that funny scene with uh, <laughs> Liberty Bell and Johnny Quick to you know, it, it really hits you right in the face when uh, Hawkman and GL especially bring in. You know, the newsreels from Detroit and the team is, you know, sitting there watching that and they're just like, you know, they can't believe it's going on. And then, you know, some of them even remark that, hey, you know, we 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 know there are still some ugly people even during these times. So, you know, I like how they kind of say, hey, you know, we know there's a war going on, but you can't have, you know strife like this going on in america and then try to fight a war abroad as well so they need to go there and kind of try to help make things right as best they can so i think it's a good moment though for the team you know kind of bonds them together and they all basically you know agree like yeah this is what we need to do i love those moments
1: oh absolutely i do and i did i did like like that dramatic opening with the that experimental tank which you know was indeed one of the one of the, the secret weapons that we came up in the Black Dragon Society issue. And I mm-hmm. think when we were when we were chatting about that at the time, I'm I'm going quite confidently. Why on earth didn't they bring these weapons back into into the, the storyline? You know, that could have helped help the war, but they'll never be heard of again because they'll just push the war too far away from our, our real life war. And here is Roy Thomas, in fact, bringing back the experimental tank. So makes me look like an idiot again.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that splash page right away is pretty cool you know when you have robot man and commander steel there and this tank smashing through a brick wall of the bank it's that is really nice and i mean again rick hoberg bill collins and mike de carlo is kudos to them because this issue to me you know is quite a quite a masterpiece i mean throughout all of the all-star squadron you know you get you know if not great pretty good artwork and this is uh this goes right into it because even the subtle moments when they're at the parasphere and you know, or when uh, Commander Steele's talking to Gloria there, and he reveals that he's, you know her former lover. and she kind of acts as if she always knew. But artwork throughout, no matter if it's action or it's you know dialogue, is great. I really enjoyed it.
1: It really is. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm about to know one in my love for Joey Ordway, but I think because Joe gets so much love that Rick Horberg is you know just didn't get the attention he deserved because I mean, he's fantastic at the compositions, the the emotions are wonderful on people's faces and things like the, the detail on Gloria's dress. I mean, you look at that and you think he's probably referred to some old, you know, Jane Wyman or John Crawford early 40s film to get the details of the dress. It's probably needed Head's creation. And it, it just looks fantastic. I just i just love his work throughout, although as it happens, by the end of the three issues, we have another excellent artist. But for now, these two issues of Rick Holberg, just spot on beautiful.
0: Yeah, and I do love uh, our man, you know, being part of the team here now too on a consistent basis, at least for, you know, a little bit here. I enjoy him quite a bit, you know, that's that's pretty cool. And he, you know, makes a mention of how he doesn't need to pop his pills anymore, how he has a, a machine to, you know, give him the juice to uh, have his extra strength and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that too.
1: And thank goodness for that. I really enjoyed the, the characterization of Robot Man after he was, Got his, got his legs pulled away basically you know he, he's got those injuries or t- injuries. he's got t- injuries, in fact and you know it's reminding him of his technically inhumanity. normally he's the chubby chap and here he really is feeling down and bless Commander Steele for doing his best to keep Robot Man's tin pecker up <laughs> yeah
0: those two make a good team I really like them quite a bit uh, you know their, their personalities flow well together too and then of course the, the both of them being you know well, one's completely a robot, other than his brain, and the other one has, you know, you know, some mechanical parts about him as well. So I really like the way they play off of each other and how they have nicknames for each other and stuff
1: like that. I really like that quite a bit. Those two characters they, they, they do do well. It was on the one on the one hand, it's a shame that Steele goes off to his own plot line and he's not seen for the rest of the issue. But on the other hand, it's again, I haven't I haven't read ahead, so I haven't read them since I read them at the time. But uh, hopefully, that's setting up a good story with Steel down the line.
0: Yeah, and then we do. I need to make mention too. Uh, in the back of this comic, there is, uh, you know, it's it does tell you on the cover. Bonus: a Golden Age gallery by artist Marshall Rogers, um, and you get a big two-page spread of, uh, uh, you know, uh, all these uh, Earth Two heroes, and then you even have the Freedom Fighters there, or Uncle Sam at least, and Vigilante. Wow, that's a really nice piece there. What do you think of that?
1: I think I think it's very sharp. I love I love the. Uh... Without without, doubt, I can't say it, diagonal lines hanging things together. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, people like Black Hawk on his parachute and plastic man, of course, stretching his neck. And it's great. Apparently, was, was it was the amazing world of DC comics piece originally or something? I think I read in the letters page.
0: Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean you even have uh you know Mary Marvel there as well, and Batman, you know, getting ready to jump out of his car there. That looks super cool too. And then I didn't even notice it until just now. There's Doll Man at the very bottom. <laughs>
1: And Woozy Winks and Detta Candy, two of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I, yeah. This I to, is really nice. This is in the key. I can't really see them at the moment, probably tiny little figures. But it's great to have them there.
0: Yeah, what a nice piece. So that's always something too. I really enjoy when they would add in these little, you know, things like that. Like even if it's just, you know, a uh, the character profile or something like that, and there'd be some original artwork there. That is something I always enjoyed, and it seemed like you know, you really got that between you know all-star squadron infinity inc some of these early 80s you know dc books they really did try to add a couple of little extras in there to uh you know help you enjoy the book even more and hey i mean what were they 75 cents back then so you know for that time it was probably going rate but you know for 75 cents you got this really awesome story and then uh, you know on top of that you got like a pinup or something in the back too so that was very enjoyable
1: yeah, well, I remember when when the comics went up went up from 17 pages, they went up to 25 pages. Then a few months later, 27. And I think for a couple of months, because they were cut short. You had a lot a lot of little features here and there. But looking looking at the page count of the story in here, it's, it's only 20. Listen, 20 pages. So
0: mm-hmm. I wonder
1: whether the deadline or just trying you know trying to free up some of the budgets. Yeah. Mhm. Anyway, it's nice to had a little extra features.
0: Yeah, it's always nice when they throw something in there, even if it is like, like you said, sometimes if it's just to fill out a page count or something, because, you know, I just feel like it isn't something they absolutely had to do, but they do it because, you know, they were thinking of fans and readers and thinking, hey, this will be, you know, nice for them.
1: It's certainly a bonus and this. There's so much story not packed into the 20 page. You get at least as much as you would in a 25 page comic elsewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You're right on the money. And then, you know, like we said, that cover too, it, it really, you know, the more I look at it, it's just like, you know, we're, we're in 2022 here now, but it's, that's still a very striking cover. I mean, that's not, I, I don't want to take that cover too lightly, even in today's day and age, that's a very striking, you know, cover to, like, wow, that really is like, oof. yeah, yeah.
1: And then, as you say, the, the, I have the note as well, the floating heads. I love I love the floating heads. I think that's one of the one of the things Roy Thomas did bring for Marvel. I think you used to have them occasionally at DC, but never as much as when you want a Roy Thomas comic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And
1: then, oh yeah, that
0: <laughs> I do have to mention the scene of uh, Robot Man and Commander Steel coming back to the Perisphere again, where they come in the door and they're like yelling Liberty Bell. And she's like, oh, hello, Steel, Robot Man. I uh, didn't know anybody was going to be here so early. And they're like, early it's after nine already but sorry if we woke you coming in that your room i thought that was the one they set aside for uh <laughs> and then johnny comes walking out tucking in his shirt and says uh, hi fellas bell was just helping me out with uh
1: something <laughs> uh, yeah funny stuff it is it is good stuff and actually another thing with libby this issue when when they're in the newsreel scene I learned something. I was surprised when Libya noticed that the coastal cities were resisting the call for blackouts. I mean, because we had obviously we had blackouts in the UK and I think the compliance was pretty, pretty strong pretty quickly with everyone, you know, painting, you know, painting their, painting their windows black, putting the big blackout curtains up, putting the lights out. And here it says, that you know, the coastal cities were resisting blackouts, allowing the Nazis some success in sinking u.s shipping i was just so shocked to read that i was assuming that's how it was in real life and not just on earth too
0: yeah i think so and i do think you know you no matter what uh part of the world you're in i kind of feel like you're always going to get a couple knuckleheads that are going to try to <laughs> do their own thing or or not not listen to uh, common sense
1: yeah yeah i think i think in the, in the uk we just love to be told what to do Hey, maybe I can't speak on that. I'll have to take your word for it. (laughs) yeah, although I
0: will do want to visit one day. You know, my daughter has already visited, but uh, I I definitely want to visit one day. So
1: that's going to have to happen. (laughs) I say we have the old spare bedroom, so you'll be fine.
0: Mm, Good, good, awesome. So, all right. Well, so any other thoughts on uh, uh, thirty?
1: Just just a couple. I mean, again, on on that newsreel from the. uh, I love the commentary by Alan that Roy has Roy has given him on the Sojourner Truth Project, Riot Newsreel. It's just, oh, yeah, it really does have authenticity. The, the rhythm, the poetry. It's Roy really really putting in the effort there to inject some realism into it.
0: Yeah, this is like we said at the beginning. This is um, you know, a, a real life event. After we you know uh, talk about the next two issues, you know, I'm just gonna throw out a couple of quick little facts about that. Uh, but the, yeah, Roy, you know, this this was. He, to me, did the best job you could taking a a real life event, inserting it into a comic book and, you know, uh, still driving home the point that he was trying to make in here, but also, you know, throwing a bunch of superhero characters into a real life event. I think he did a great job with this. And I was, you know, like I said, I I was blown away when I finished reading it because the, the first time I read through it, I kind of thought, oh, I wish he could have done this or done that. And then I thought to myself, okay, now put yourself in Roy's shoes, who's working for a comic book company. And, you know, you come to them and say, hey, I have an idea for a story and this is what I'm going to write. And, you know, have the artist in conjunction then draw. So the the things I was kind of thinking about, oh, I wish he wouldn't have done that, I think to myself. But in, in a comic book, you know, if this was it'd be totally different if it was, you know, you know, not something meant for kids or younger people or whatever, and not a comic book. If it was like, you know, a, a novel he was writing or something like that, I think he could have done some different things. But being in the context of what it was in a comic book, I, I think he really did well here to still, like I said, use that event plus superheroes to really,
1: really drive home a good point here. He did. I didn't, didn't Roy Thomas start off as a teacher because I think he still a Yeah. Does something, uh, clever, clever, mm-hmm. clever man what did you think of the all-star special
0: oh yeah (laughs) yep he i'll tell you what too you were saying about the part with the newsreels um and when it they were already kind of like oh no because they were watching newsreels showing uh you know uh what had gone on in europe and you know some of the things that you know back home they had even seen with uh oh uh the the guy that they had, oh gosh, I'm I'm blanking on his name, but the guy that was the huge white ape, but then was in the woman's body, <laughs> they kind of ultra- went over. Ultra-humanite. yeah, ultra humanite, yeah, they went over that uh, story as well there and everything like that. And then they went on, like I said, when G.L. and Hawkman came in to see this other newsreel, and it, it just got way more serious. If you can even get more serious than war, you know, I mean, war's a, a pretty serious thing, but they're just, like, aghast at what's going on out there. But, of course, like, they recognize their buddy Amazing Man. Um, yeah. And they're like, yeah, we got to get out there and help them. But uh, the Phantom Empire, that's what those guys are called instead of the KKK. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had that wrong earlier. <laughs> no, I think I did, too. And I then, yeah, the, the the all-star special. That is really cool. I, it reminds me of, like, a Transformer. That's what it kind of reminds me of, which they were coming out at this time as well in
1: America. Yeah, it's a pretty fantastic vehicle. It it is a wonder the stripes he didn't strike out on his own and just made a lot of money with what he could do when it came to souping up vehicles.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, there is a little note here from Roy, too, and it says it's a modified version of the Curtis XP55 Ascender. You know, Roy and Rick, it says. And it's a really cool-looking vehicle. Like I said, a really cool-looking plane. I like it. It looks almost like a jet, but then it does have a propeller on the back, and it's, it's very, very cool. I really like that a lot. It says... Stripesy took a screwdriver to it and he goes that model was considered too slow for use as a fighter. Now look at it.
1: <laughs> it, it, is, it is marvelous. Really really great issue overall I thought.
0: Yeah, fantastic and you know, again for a three-parter what a, what a great intro to this one because there's a lot packed in here. Um but I think the most the, the issue that might have the most packed into it is uh issue uh, 39 here that you're going to talk
1: about. <laughs> well, that, That'll forgive my wordiness in the synopsis. So, this is 39, <laughs> entitled Nobody Gets Out of Paradise Valley Alive, is by the all-star creative team of writer Roy Thomas again, artist Rick Holberg and Bill Collins, colourist Gene D'Angelo, and letter of David Cody Weiss, same guys as last time. And after seeing newsreel of Amazing Man, Will Everett, being crucified on the eve of the new Detroit African-American housing project opening, a group of all-stars head there, Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, Firebrand, Robot man and our man receive a far from warm welcome at an all-night diner, but they do learn of an all-white rally against the project as planned for a few short hours, hence. Johnny and Libby go off in search of amazing man to see how he is after his ordeal, while the other also head for the rallying point. They see the leader of a group of racist losers known as the Phantom or, Oh, I have seen the Phantom Army. I'm gonna stop here. The Phantom, what were they called again?
0: The Phantom Empire. <laughs>
1: If I've written that down wrong, I'll start again, forgive me. Johnny and Libby go off in search of amazing man to see how he is after his ordeal, while the other old stars head for the rallying point. They see the leader of a group of racist losers known as the Phantom Empire address a crowd of disgruntled white men and women. The hooded figure is accompanied by a new mystery man, Real American. Think typical Patriot hero in pathetic Ku Klux Klan cowl. The supposed hero is going to stop the federal government forcing... Quote, 18 acres of Negroes down our throats, close quote, with his lash of pliable steel. And he shows that he means business by attacking the man in the crowd who quite reasonably protests that people have a right to live anywhere they wish. While the outsiders feel that they can't interfere in a free speech rally, this is America, ignoring the poor guy being assaulted, of course, Firebrand does gain momentary satisfaction in reducing their massive crust slag. Liberty Bell and Johnny track down Will Everett's fiancée and mother, and they're worried that he and his dad, who are left to start moving their property into the new truth home, will be attacked. Will's fiancée, Rachel, says the whites will kill the blacks. Libby and Johnny don't seem to appreciate the plight of America's black people, and Rachel has no faith in the government being able to protect them. As protesters do indeed try to stop the African-Americans from moving in, Johnny and Libby record events in their civilian identities as, as reporters. Libby is accused of being a communist for not agreeing with one racist woman who challenges them. Will starts furnishing the vans attacked by the racists, but they find something more than a sofa waiting for them in the back. Amazing man. As a riot breaks out, a disguised robot man, our man in firebrand, come out of the shadows. They want to make it easier for the police to do their job without taking sides, but Donette notices that three police officers are quick to tackle a single black man while ignoring the whites who had been attacking him. Libby gets the All-Stars to separate the two factions, but Real American appears and attacks some of the black men. Amazing Man turns his steel to stop him, but some hoodoo forces him to the ground, depletes his power. Will is unimpressed by the All-Star's insistence that they're not taking sides when they really should be defending the black people. He gets into an argument with Johnny, but is knocked out by a club from behind, which allows the cops on the scene to take him away. Will's dad asks the heroes to help his son, but, ridiculously, Libby says that they do what they can, but Amazing Man did break the law. Meanwhile, in the White House, Green Lantern and Hawkman ask if President FDR can intervene in the Detroit riots. Shamefully, he calls it a local matter, says he has a war to win. The unimpressed duo fly off in the direction of Detroit and the story ends.
0: Hmm. Yeah, wow. This one was really good. But let's uh let's start out with that cover again. So how about this cover, uh Hoburg and Ordway again here? What do you think of this one, man? I really like this one. It's like it almost reminded me of, you know, uh George Perez, because George Perez is one of those guys that can put, you know, dozens of characters on a panel page or on a cover, and make it look great. And there's detail to it, and that—that that was really what Hoburg and Ordway did here. This—this this is great. There's close-ups. There's faraway shots. This was a really, really, really
1: good cover. Oh, it really is splendid. I mean, that's a real melee there, and I mean the the intensity of the emotions. And while you know Detroit, you know the, the the dialogue from Amazing Man, go back where you came from, All Stars. Detroit is Amazing Man territory. That's a little over the top, but it does reflect what's in the story, but a bit too much. I don't think it actually need, needed any dialogue beyond beyond what, what what's in the blurbs, you know. But it's, it's just an amazing cover. There's actually a bit of Joe Hewitt energy and vibrancy to it. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. As to whether it's my favourite of the three, we'll get to that later. But it's really, really striking. I mean, I don't see how anyone could resist that issue with his cover there.
0: Yeah, I will agree with you. It's my favorite of the three as well. But, yeah, like I said, just, oh, the amount of detail in it, you know, there's fire in the background and firebrand there. She's flying around. You even see our man in the background. And there's just like, you know, it it looks like a riot. There's, you know, bricks and boards and stuff flying everywhere. And plus the heroes trying to be in the middle of it. And it it's really like it's very it's a very good cover and it's very accurate to what happens inside the comic too so there's no bait and switch or anything like that here at all so yep kudos for the cover and wow how about the splash page too that
1: is just excellent work by Holberg and bill collins there I, he really 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 recalls referring to contemporaneous images you know maybe some of the saturday evening post pictures or something like that because i mean you look you look at the level, it's a shame we haven't got a gallery i mean the, the, the level of detail in there, in the, in the dining, with you know the polished the polished bar, the sort of bottles, this this the napkin the napkin placement thing, and mm-hmm. then the, the the guy who's owning the diner. I mean, it's, it's quite formidable on on the on the right of the page here. Then you get to page two, and the second panel is close course with the guy, modern brown and all, and that has to be based on someone. I mean, that's that's one of the most realistic, striking portraits of any you know non non central character I've ever seen in a comic book.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if that's you know an actor from back in the '40s or something like that. They base that off of like a or a Dick Tracy villain or something because the guy looks super seedy, you know, from that very first page, like you said, and then his words uh, match his personality as well because he basically tells the All Stars to you know hit the road. We don't we don't need your kind around here, which that ought to tell you everything you need to know about this guy. A little foreshadowing there, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like an it's like an evil Ernest Borgnine or someone. Yep.
0: Yep, and then, uh, yeah.
1: Perhaps someone, this, this might have an idea as to who he's based on, but if, if, they, if, they, if they have the issue or well, they can seek out the image, you know, page two, panel two, also squadron 39, give us some help. Who is that guy?
0: Yeah, or maybe Royce has spoken on it at some point too, because, you know, he was working pretty close in conjunction with his artists over the years. You know, I think you can look back as far as him and uh, Neil Adams on X-Men and then Avengers. He usually worked, you know, you know maybe not uh side by side at a uh, an office setting but you know there was always usually dialogue back and forth phone calls letters whatever that i am sure he somewhere had done an interview and uh and uh, somebody maybe uh, asked him about this or he spoke of it uh so that definitely anybody knows out there let us know cuz uh, the guy definitely looks like a like a character from a
1: movie but uh that, yeah and then uh, go ahead Well, I you like do you like to, well, like to you, you know, pick his artist's, who used to pick artists who were living in California The same as him and let didn't he So he probably did see a lot of them mm-hmm. I think that's why you see a lot of new talent on his book like In terms of lecturers and colourists that you don't see elsewhere I think he was, you know, book, booking people from maybe The animation community or people who just happen to live out there But yeah, this is just stunning work Yeah, and then, you know, the
0: everybody at this diner Is being pretty tight-lipped about, you know, what's going on And, you know They're asking for, you know, hey, where's this at or who's this or where's that? You know, they're asking some general questions, just trying to find out where things are going to be. And they see this crazy note, you know, like advertisement almost uh, taped up in this diner. And it says, help the white people to keep this district white men needed to keep our lives solid. And it says, uh, don't be yellow. Come out. It's like, what? Holy crap. And then Firebrand finds it and she's like, Oh, I think I know exactly where uh, we can be because there's an address on it. And, you know, she starts yeah. to use her fire powers to burn it up. And some dude from behind grabs her wrist and then grabs her by the hair. But a uh, robot man uh, quickly takes care of him.
1: Yeah. Well, do you know what I mean, well, basically, this diner, it's the cowboy saloon where the white hat walks in and everyone goes quiet, isn't it? Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely. You know they they knew a minute after coming in here and you know getting a vibe and then asking one or two questions what kind of crowd was at this place so like I said they eventually found their way uh, with that address to where they needed to go and they split up and wow like you said there's one person then at the rally with the, uh, the Phantom Empire here uh, one guy that kind of speaks up and says hey like you know this isn't right people should be able to live where they want to live and this uh, you know real American guy. I wasn't sure, you know, the first time I read this, I thought, is this going to be some super villain, You know, somebody new? Is this going to be uh, somebody that we saw in the past in All-Star Squadron, or maybe even from the, you know, golden age of, you know, JSA comics or something like that? But, you know, we're going to find out something a little different about this guy in the next issue. But, yeah, he's pretty wild, and he attacks this guy just for saying people should be able to live where they want to live.
1: He really is. I mean, the guy, the, guy, the Phantom Empire guy, you know, I think he makes a couple of comments about you know I can't see who I am I blah blah blah, but you know he's you know rallying everyone else you know get out there you know fight the blacks and he's like oh he's hiding behind his mask the coward but I was I was sure there was going to be some kind of reveal relating to him but there wasn't.
0: Yeah no but I like like you alluded to in your synopsis I love that part where Firebrand, Our Man, and Robot Man are there and after the you know the Clan guy and his uh, buddies clear out she takes her powers and like melts that cross down to nothing that they had burning there i really
1: like that that was really like a yeah all right kind of moment absolutely and and although you know given this portrayal in previous issues it might have been nice to see johnny gets thumped on the cover by amazing man as he does here by this point (laughs) he's he's much improved in terms of character and personality and you know on on a similar note to what you were just saying i just love that when he's in the diners, when he is leaving the diner, Johnny tells the racist diner owner that he will be back for coffee, black coffee.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot about that too. Yeah. That's a really good scene. And we'll, uh, we'll dovetail back to that uh, uh, next issue. But yeah. And then I do like to, um, you know, I think sometimes the, the next scene there where, you know, they go to, uh, they track down uh, amazing man's uh, fiance and uh, his mother. That are in an apartment, you know, kind of actually, you know, hiding out because they're afraid of what's going to happen and amazing man's uh, fiance there, you know, she's, she might come off as, um, I'm trying to think of what the word or phrase would be, you know, as a typical like a lot of times in comics when you had writers that were trying to write black characters, they would write them as always being angry. And of course, you know, a a black man or black woman isn't always angry. But in the context of this story, I do like that he wrote her as being very angry and, of course, suspicious of them as well, because for most of her life, she's been treated terribly by people you know, with white skin. So it's only, you know, reasonable that she would be really pissed off and, you know, suspicious that maybe they aren't really there to help. Um, but I do also like Amazing Man's, you know, mother as well, that she tries to say, you know, oh, hey, let's, you know, let's kind of work together here and let's trust them. And, you know, we need we need help in, uh, you know, saving Amazing Man and then uh, the the father as
1: well. Yeah, well, you're right. She, I mean, she is, she is, you know, she's frustrated. She's frightened. She's angry. Yeah. And that's all fair enough. And then, you know, you, you get these all-stars coming to the door. You know, Liberty Bell there, you know, Mrs. All, All-American Blonde there, and she's actually, you know, with that stupid, ridiculous cape she's taken to <laughs> <job and leave. laughs> Yeah. For goodness sake, you know, she's come, She's looking like the Queen of England or something at the door. And now you know, have <laughs> and this issue that the all-stars, the they don't cover themselves in glory in terms of understanding the problems that the African-Americans, they're equals, they're their brothers and sisters have,
0: yeah, yeah, they kind of bust in the door and act like we're here to help, you know, like we're kind of a bit of a high and mighty kind of attitude, which, like you said, a little bit more understanding instead of that would have been better on their part for sure. And I think you know, we do eventually get to that, but it takes a little while here, but, um, yeah, wow, good fight action scenes here, too with, you know, amazing man and you know, uh, the team when they're trying to like get in between the, you know, Uh, protesters and the crowd there trying to stop them from moving in. You know, and then that real American guy shows up and he whips things into an even worse frenzy. And like I said, that part where he and Amazing Man start going at it. You know, Amazing Man's a a pretty tough customer, and this guy gets the better of him. So I thought, wow, that's when when my interest was really peaked. Like, wow, who is this guy that he was able to go
1: toe-to-toe with him and basically beat him? absolutely i mean i I was i was quite shocked by that because again we won't go into what what's going on until the third issue but i was suspecting something and i was surprised that 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 you know that would work on amazing man
0: yeah i was shocked too i was like wow you know and again one of these issues it took me a while to get i i can't recall if it was this issue or 40 but for a while i only had two parts of this so if i don't have the whole story I usually will just thumb through it quickly and kind of check out the artwork and not really read into it because it'll just drive me batty if I can't read the whole story. So I didn't end up reading this whole story until, I don't know, maybe within the last nine months or a year till I got that issue. So it was really shocking to me.
1: Yeah. And the, whole, the whole issue, the whole issue again, I mean, so. Uh, really, really powerful writing from Roy as he lays out the various positions. I mean, I especially like the commentary after the standoff ends, after the riot, with Real American raised high as a hero, shockingly, and the black community going off in the other direction to lick their wounds, as the commentary says, and plan a way to fight another day. And the scene's just richly composed by Hoberg, with the all-stars looking confused, perhaps a little ashamed, and rightly so.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Roy, he did great with the dialogue here, no matter which character. And he he really made you not like this real American guy. After they haul off Amazing Man, he says, the victory is ours, my friends. We have kept our neighborhoods pure. Our daughters unsullied, and that's just the beginning. And Firebrand says, God, I think I'm going to be sick. And I was like, wow, that's really good. Like, when you want to write a good villain, you have to write some pretty... Sometimes some uncomfortable dialogue, but, you know, yeah. true dialogue as well.
1: Yeah, I was I was disappointed, though, by just how, how firm Liberty Bell especially was in that, you know, we we can't, we can't interfere, we can't take sides. Because yeah. sometimes there's a right, and sometimes there's a wrong, and there's so obviously a big wrong here. I mean, you're, you're okay, they're working, they're working for the president, but... So you've got to follow your conscience. And, you know, Danette, mm-hmm. Danette was stopped. You know, she was seeing the things that weren't quite right. Johnny, things were dawning on him. And, but Liberty Bell, you meant know, top, top reporter, you think she would have a little, a little more brains, a little more spunk, a little more independence of thought.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, again, we're going to get to some of the real world stuff a little bit in, in a little bit after the last issue. You know, we talk about it for a while, but, uh, you know, then they go to, uh, you know, FDR and kind of say, hey, man, you got to help out with this. And like you said, in your synopsis, he kind of is like, oh, they have to handle it locally. And, you know, GL and Hawkman are kind of pissed off about it. And they're like, well, we're going to go take care of it our way. And I thought, oh, wow, really cool. I like that. So, like you said, they kind of are like, you know, oh, we need to listen to the authorities and be on the side of the police. But they're slowly realizing that's not the right side to be on in this matter. Not at all.
1: Absolutely. I mean, again, F- FDR disappointed me there, but, you know, how have- Read a little around the subject. It seems I did ref- reflect the way he was acting at the time, but again, history is coming up next issue, isn't it? So I'll leave that for now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll take care of that. We'll 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 get on
1: that in a minute here. But
0: yeah, okay. So issue uh, forty here, you know, next one, and uh, this one again, another crazy, I like, cover here, race riots in Detroit. It's almost like a uh, a newspaper in the background, and. We see, you know, amazing man and a real American uh, fighting on the front cover here. And it's a a really, really good cover, too. I mean, like we've said, the other one, you know, uh, 39 was probably our favorite. But this is a pretty good one, too. I do like when covers put uh, newspapers or something like that in the background as a backdrop as well, even if it's just part of the cover. This is almost the whole cover, though. So what did you what did you think of this one? This one is uh, Arvell Jones, I believe, and Aubrey Bradford, who I had never heard that name before.
1: Yeah, I didn't actually even notice the names there, but yeah, I mean, I knew I knew of Jones. He turns up later, and he drink he he'd drawn some Legion books years years previously, but uh, oh gosh, I didn't I didn't even notice because th- this is just absolutely brilliant cover. I I love the blue background. I love the design with the newspaper. As an old newspaper man, I love the mm-hmm. fact that the newspaper that the newspaper photograph is the previous issue's cover. The closer mm-hmm. to that, the top. and just, it just, it. the, the cover reads, you know, it reads so true, softening films, you know, big, big bugbear of mine is it, you know, you see your cover design in newspapers and TV, or, uh, of newspapers on TV, and, you know, the headlines don't fit, it doesn't read like a headline, but here it just, it, it reads like the proper, proper headlines, and I just love the punch-up the punch between Real Americans and Amazing Man, the, I mean, the, the anger on both sides, the hatred on real american side that that whip round the amazing man's leg i absolutely adore this cover it's my favorite of the three i admit, I admit it now best best of three billion covers
0: mm-hmm. cool yeah so this is uh the rise and fall of the phantom empire and we have again roy thomas writer editor and then uh, richard howell <clears throat> returning here he had been on the book earlier and uh bill collins again and then david cody weiss letters and gene d'angelo colors so uh All right. So as GL and Hawkman fly over Detroit, they join the All-Stars in trying to quell the riots. The Real American attempts to persuade them to join him, and Hawkman starts to inexplicably believe his rhetoric. GL flies off, angry that Hawkman would even entertain his drivel. Hawkman then remarks that now that he's not near him, the effects have worn off. They meet up with the All-Stars and take care of some injured Back in a church. But they're angry and they're upset, so the All-Stars leave. The team then decides to go to the police station where Amazing Man and his dad are being held. They convince the police to let them try to reason with the gathering mob outside. The real American is there and uses his powers of persuasion to confuse the All-Stars. Luckily, his powers do not work on Robot Man, and he helps Amazing Man resist it as well. Amazing Man then goes with one on one with the real American. And it only takes a few shots, and Amazing Man defeats him. We find out that he's a robot and that he was under the control of the Phantom Empire. And afterwards, Amazing Man then decides to join the All Star Squadron. All right, Mark, so what are your thoughts here?
1: And a pretty excellent conclusion, with the one problem I have being that it's so. Sort of Crappy that after the big build-up with Real American, he turns out to be some kind of knock-off of Marvel's hate Monger, you know, sort of inciting the crowd. I mean, obviously, you know, there was there was real problems that the a lot of the the American whites in the district had with the black people moving in, the African Americans. But the fact that he was he was stirring up the mob with his powers, that's a bit a bit of a get-out. That less people mm-hmm. it and I don't like the fact that you know, his power works on. On the heroes, it just seems to be a way of just getting getting a little bit of extra extra drama there by having them go on his side. I didn't like that note.
0: Yeah, that was when I first, you know, like I said, read this and then reread it again here and was writing down some notes about this issue. I thought, oh, why couldn't, you know, I alluded to it earlier. Where I thought, oh, why, why didn't Roy, you know, write this, you know, air quotes, real American character as, you know, a villain. Or, you know, just, you know, made up his own villain instead of having a robot. So I don't know if that was something that Roy just I don't know if it was just something he didn't want to deal with as far as trying to create a new character whole cloth because he thought it would be no more impactful than a robot. I I just I don't know who he could have used, you know, to to be under that hood. Uh, maybe he could have used, like, whoever the head honcho at the KKK was. <laughs> Although maybe they were afraid of a lawsuit. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Oh, in in one, of the, one of the previous issues, there's a broadcast heard in a taxi cab from someone called Lady Lorelei, who seemed to have been an American version of the UK's Lord, like, Germany, the UK's Lord Haw-Haw, who mm. was, you know, sort of stoking up pro Axis sentiment on the home front. If it yeah. was someone like her, or they actually had her under the mask, or it's Just some, you know, some like maybe a, a G. Gordon Godfrey figure, someone who just was an ordinary person who was just stoking up the fires of hatred rather than someone who, like, a, a robot with a superpower somehow.
0: Yeah, because I kind of felt like, oh, I that that was something that was weighing on me, and then I also thought, too, I wish it would have been um, implied that the you know, real American robot with his powers of persuasion. Was only basically something he was using to try to get the All Stars to, you know, be on his side. Because if you don't make that very implicit, it kind of implies that maybe he was using that powers on these other people, and they weren't just racist people. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But in, in in fact, you know, again with the with the real world history, the the you know already happened and there were even, even middle class blacks who were against the the, the working class american african american yeah. people Yeah, it was you know it was the, the real life hatred was there and I think it wouldn't have been beyond Roy to find some other way of injecting injecting the drama getting the heroes into into the virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yep yeah I totally agree like I said I read it and
1: I was like I, I felt like oh
0: you know those couple of things were I don't want to say a cop out by Roy because that's not really fair to him. You know, again, this was 1984 and, you know, it's not like it was an independently published comic book. He probably would have done things much differently if he wasn't working for a giant company like DC. But uh, I did, like you said, it was a little disappointing those couple of things where I thought they could have been a little bit better. And I just, like I said, it would have been better if it was a little more clear that, you know, Hey, he wasn't, using any kind of powers on these other people. They were just straight up racist that didn't want black people moving into their neighborhood. And, you know, that's, you know, it's a sad fact, but it is a fact. And it's, it would have been better if it was, you know, like a little more, uh, you know, a light was uh, shined on that a little bit more uh, that, you know, those people, it's, there was no way this guy's, uh, you know, powers, this robot's powers of, you know, uh, audible persuasion were affecting them. That's just who they were
1: absolutely and when and earlier in the issue when he when he grabs uh when he grabs green Greenland and Hawkman he, he's persuading them he's actually got his hands on their shoulders yeah he's you know, transmitting via physically as well as, as well as audibly and I, I just i like i did like that point that he's being sly and pretending you know pretending to the public so to the watching news media that Hawkman and jail are on his side as a fellow hero and yeah i think interesting enough that, that they could have just made him either. You know, a regular person or you know, one of the one of the JSA's existing villains, because I'm sure that someone like like the wizard or someone would have been slight could have been sly enough to have been there stalking, stalking the hatred that already existed in men's hearts and minds.
0: hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like we said, we we've talked about it now a couple of times. And then even before we were recording too. almost as if, you know, for a comic book in 1984, Overall, I think it's still a really good story by Roy, and he he drove home a pretty good point. Obviously, this last issue there could have been a couple of things that were a little bit differently done that would have been better, but, you know, hey, hindsight's 2020. I'm sure he, <laughs> if you asked him to go back and change some things in this, he probably would try a couple of different things as well. He seemed to be, like you said, he was a school teacher, and he was very, very much, you know, a historian with uh, comics and with, you know, real-life events as well, so... Uh, Overall, I'd say he did a pretty good job with, you know, putting this into putting this story onto a paper in a comic book. But again, uh, the artwork in this again, Richard Howell, too, he'd come back here with Bill Collins inking again and again. Awesome job by him. I just I I can't really look at any of these scenes. He's he's a little bit more cartoony, maybe I would say, you know, but his style than Hoburg. But uh, it's still overall pretty, pretty powerful stuff.
1: Ah, oh, It looks fantastic. I mean, obviously, his Hulk man's always amazing, but pure storytelling moments like Amazing Man trussed up in a prison cell in, in that straitjacket is superb. It's just it just looks mm. so sh- in the humiliation on the poor guy. Really well done.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then <laughs> something you alluded to earlier, you know, once they take care of the real American guy, there was the head guy of the Phantom Empire that was always, you know, talking with a real American and. Of course, he realizes there's, uh, you know, uh, the, the 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 operations uh, bust and the robot blew up. And you're thinking, OK, well, who built this robot? So <clears throat> here, here we go with, you know, Roy had to insert this because yeah. all the writers were being told, you know, there's a big event coming with the monitor. So he kind of had this uh, last couple of pages here <laughs> with
1: that. Poor boy. he He deserved better. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is tough. I would. I mean... If you're working for D.C. again, what are you going to do? Tell them no. They'd probably fire you and put someone else in the book that would do what they said. So he kind of had to put this in there where this head guy for the Phantom Empire is uh, on a television screen. And we know that he got the Phantom or the real American robot from uh, the monitor, you know. Yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: Well, in my head can, it was supplied by Luther. Was the, hu- the human, I just it wasn't. No monitor. No, we're not having the monitor.
0: Ridiculous. <laughs> and then our buddy here, Johnny Quick, comes busting in and uh, takes the hood off of this guy. And we see it's that uh, scroungy guy from the uh, diner at the beginning. And Johnny punches him right through a window and goes to get his uh, cup of coffee, right?
1: <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff. It was really, 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 really satisfying. I, had, I get and and again, although you know, I love. I had I had a poor Poirot earlier. Just again, just a, a brilliant performance all round on the writing front. I mean, from little things like including including a bit of Earth Prime newsreel or Earth Prime radio reporting in, at the start, bit, a bit of you know, bit of montage effect type business to get the verisimilitude in there. That's really really well done. And and what did you think of the scene in which uh, Real American challenges Jalen Hauptman about? They're children. Oh, yeah. When
0: he, like you said, when he kind of puts his hands on them in that one scene, you know, it's it's just like, there's some really, really, you know, powerful uh, words there because they come in and they're like, you know, who? what does he say? Who are you? And he's like, what does he say? Your Hawkman says, your sources are better than your biology. By the way, do you have a name? And he says, I am called Real American. And Hawkman says, not by me. <laughs> So yeah. he, they really go back and forth here. And he's, they, there's some really wild stuff. I mean, that, he really, like I said, Roy, really, he really pushed the envelope here with some
1: of the dialogue. Oh, it's, it's great. And then and I said, and, and that panel I was talking about where where Real American says, oh, and I suppose you'd marry one of them, have a daughter who's colored. And Greenland says, mister, if I ever have a daughter, I won't care whether she's black, white, or green, as long as she doesn't start dating somebody like you. <laughs> The Infinity Inc fans,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's a good, uh, a good one there. A good in joke there, especially if you're reading that other title. But yeah, and that to me, that is an excellent way to respond to someone that has that kind of uh, mentality. GL really uh, hit a home run with that one.
1: He really, really did. Yeah, <laughs> and I was very, very pressing on Roy's part to have Will's fiance Rachel in a tirade to Libby suggests that you know maybe the US should lock lock Mexicans away to protect our precious borders.
0: Mm. Mhm. Yep, there's there's really some good stuff here. Like you said, Liberty Bell is you know, I think her heart is in the right place, but she's not thinking clearly in that you know, you're seeing a certain people being treated very unfairly here, and instead of siding with them, she's trying to say, "Oh, well let me just get in between you and the people" That you're angry at because they're mistreating you. It's like, uh, no, Libby, you should be on her side because she's the one being mistreated.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, thank goodness that you did. You did get the, well, the, the more senior JSA members, the All Star guys, GL and Horseman. Mm-hmm. and again, it's not a male versus female thing. I think it's just because you know they were more experienced heroes and mm-hmm. were probably you know a little a little bit more confident in being able to assess the situation.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you figure Libby, she's a very new superhero and very new at being the leader as well. So, anybody that gets put into a, a leadership position right out of the gate, you're going to have some times where you really don't know what the right thing or wrong thing is to do, or you, you think you need to do something a certain way because, well, I'm the leader. And sometimes maybe she wasn't, you know, thinking as clearly as she could be. But again, Roy, Roy brings it all around in the end. And she definitely, you know, comes around in the end to realize, hey, you know, we we should have all along been on the side of Amazing Man and his, you know, fiancé and mother and father. And I really do like that too. And then at the end too, where he says about joining the team, I like
1: that a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think Liberty Bell probably was a little more shouted than some of the guys on the team. I mean, wasn't Mm -hmm. she heiress? She was probably an heiress.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think so, yeah, too. And you figure she was a reporter and was she over in Europe there for a bit too?
1: She was on the channel at one point, God bless her.
0: Yeah, yeah. so, you know, I think some of these things that were going on right here in the United States were a surprise to her because maybe she was, you know, caught up in a career in the war and all that kind of stuff and not realizing the plight of some of the people right here in the United States. So, you know, it was something that she just didn't think was a reality when it was really going on.
1: Absolutely. Did 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 you like that team meeting in the air? I thought that was very interesting. I'd never seen a team meeting in the air before. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was
0: interesting with GL, man. I never, you know, you always think of him using his powers one way or the other, but he, like, constructs a, what does he say, you, we're going to use his cloud over here, and he takes his ring and basically uses it to construct a like a little, <laughs> almost like a little office in the air, and there's a couch almost and everything, and they're sitting there, it's pretty neat.
1: It was brilliant. I mean, I wondered if they, I think I'm reading too much into it, but I wondered if the implication was that Libby, with her faith in the goodness of the majority, was in cloud cuckoo land.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does he say? Uh, she says, uh, "I live to be a hundred, Alan. I swear, I'm never going to figure out what all those things your ring can do." And uh, he says, uh, "Considering I've had it less than two years, Bell, you might still beat me to it." <laughs> so okay. yeah, you figure all these heroes, you know, they're still very new at being heroes. Even the Green Lanterns.
1: Excellent. There's one. There's one panel where there's a word which I didn't understand. I looked it up and I still didn't understand it. I'm wondering if it's a misprint or perhaps some kind of American word or American usage. I don't know. But if you can pop pop your eyes, if you have page eight available to you, Mm -hmm. bottom panel of page eight. If you can read me, read me that uh, report above Firebrand's head.
0: Above Firebrand's head. Okay. So it says up in the cloud. There. You mean? Oh, no, no about Firebrand's head. I got you. I got you. It says, named after a Negro abolitionist and poetess who once resided in Battle Creek, the Negro occupancy of these homes has been opposed by various white neighborhood associations and even by some middle-class Negroes residing in nearby Conant Gardens, Evidently worrying about
1: property values. Billy, 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 Billy lovely, 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 Billy. It's actually the final panel of page eight. Sorry, you're Oh, that.
0: I got you. Bottom right-hand corner there. Yep.
1: One young Negro oh. interviewed, put
0: it this way. The army is going to take me to fight for democracy, but I'd... Oh, yeah, that's definitely a spelling error there. Yeah.
1: I, I, what, what, how, what, it's misspelled, though? I mean, I... I I just much I just likely I, I, just, I, I mean, you know what he's saying, but I was thinking what on earth? where where just? like
0: oh. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a misprint there for sure. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I Googled it in case it was a real quote, but you no, know, it doesn't seem to be or it's not online if it is.
0: And it's a and it, it it makes a very the person makes a very good point too. You know what I mean? Why Absolutely. would you Yeah. Why would you want to get drafted to go fight in a war when the country drafting you isn't even treating you, you know, respectfully? That's obviously an excellent point.
1: Yeah. And again, five grand. Amen. She's having a consciousness There is a little bit here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, She seems to be a little more ahead of the curve than, you know, like we said, maybe Libby with uh, understanding the way things are and uh, not having to kind of be in the middle and. You know, think about things too. You know, quick. You know, too, too long. She, she already knows what's going on, which is that's cool. I like that.
1: It was. I mean, overall, I just think this issue is just absolutely fascinating, joyous, joyous in the fact despite it being so dark. But you know, blend of entertainment, action, and education. Absolutely brilliant read.
0: Yep, absolutely. It was. You know, and it didn't seem like it was strung out too long or too much was crammed into it. It seemed like three issues was. You know, a very. Fitting for it as well, I thought too. You know, sometimes when you get these, you know, multiple issue stories, you feel as if they're, you know, they're dragging it out too far or cramming too much in. What did you think? I thought it was pretty good being three issues.
1: Oh, it was just—it was just about the right length, like, and it, happily, it ends with Amazing Man joining the team properly, which is a great thing because he's such a fantastic, interesting character and looks just amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Love the visual and love the character too. It's—it's—it's it's, it's always good to have a character that'll be you know, bring a different voice to the uh, team and also, you know, have a different opinion. I I like that too. There's always good to have someone on these teams where it's like, you know, the rest of the team, yeah, let's do this. And that person will say, wait, hold on a minute. Should we really be doing that? Like, maybe we should do this. I love
1: characters like that. Absolutely. Obviously, you know, you know, when, when the, in the actual real, you know, the real golden age comics didn't, didn't have, have, any mainstream DC black heroes back then who could have joined the team. So it's mm-hmm. excellent for more internet and collaborators, you know, created one who could be there. Not not just from the optics point of view of you know a team should have a bit more diversity in the eighties, despite it being set in the 40s, but just from the fact that if the all stars did exist on Earth too, and of course they do because it's a parallel world to our own in the mm-hmm. 40s, there there would have been heroes from all kinds of backgrounds and okay we didn't see them at the time ourselves in our comic books, but they would have been there. And it's good, you know, Roy's given us one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so kudos to Roy. You know, like we said, it's uh, he did a good job with this title, with this story. And, you know, for me, he's one of those guys, he's on my, you know, Mount Rushmore. He's one of my favorite writers of all time. And
1: stories like this and titles like this are, are exactly why. Oh, totally. I mean, since it's, pretty traditional in every episode that we should mention this but why is there not an all-star squadron omnibus come on dc comics
0: oh my gosh yeah i I, all there is so
1: far is what a showcase that's it that one showcase and i finally bought it this month
0: yeah it's just it's hard for me to believe that and i mean it's not you know sometimes when dc doesn't want to reprint things you know they are I don't want to say legitimate reasons, but at least reasons if they would give them, I think, okay, I can understand that. I don't, maybe I don't agree with it, but I can understand that from one point of view or another, but all-star squadron, it's like, you know, it's a very beloved title. It, you know, I, I just don't get it.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, we really benefit from the obvious treatment being, you know, one, one story beginning to end, you know, okay, I got, you've got, after the crafty crisis, a lot of basically fill in type issues with the secret origins of material, but still collect. You know, collect the whole lot. You've got a brilliant read. It's, I, I mean, I think this is, you know, the crowning achievement of one of comics' best, most important writers working with superb artists. You know, looking back at a, a really interesting time of history with fantastic characters, it should be on our bookshelves in a fat edition or two.
0: Yep. Totally agree. And I just think it's, it's a bit criminal that it's not. And for Roy again, to, you know, look at the golden age stuff and try to fit these stories in, in and around those stories as well. To me, that is like such a huge accomplishment. You know, there are only a couple of times in comics where I think people have tried to do that and done it successfully where it actually works. It's one of those things that is done few and far between well. So it should definitely be praised for that. Absolutely. Absolutely
1: to the heavens, Billy, to the heavens. <laughs> so yeah,
0: let's get on it here, DC. But yeah, I just wanted to make mention to, you know, reading this story and, you know, like you said, you know, you and I mentioned a couple of the things too, you know, doing some, you know, homework here with those riots in 1943 in the United States, you know, uh, definitely, you know, uh, the early middle part of June, 1943, June 20th to 22nd, you know, and it was, you know, the Detroit auto industry was kind of converted to a war effort I think I read 400,000 migrants, black and white, had come to that area to try and, you know, get jobs and work and, you know, wow. help the war effort there, too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were five different cities, and that was one of the five cities that had riots that summer. But, yeah, it's a really sad thing. You know, 34 people uh, died, and 25 of those 34 people were black, and they mostly died at the hands of police, which is, you know, pretty, pretty big black eye for America during World War II there.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I was reading that, you know, of those arrested in the instance, in the, these issues, that 109 were held for trial and only three were white. Absolutely disgraceful.
0: Hmm. Yeah, when you look at the numbers and you divide the numbers by, you know, white and black, it's pretty, it shows a pretty stark, uh, uh scary uh, time there for, uh, you know, America. Like I said, that's just a 400 and some injured, 1,800 arrests, like, it was, it was a very, uh, like I said, it was a, it's a black eye on the history of America. So it's one of those things you need to read up on and keep in the back of your head. So anytime, you know, you think, oh, that those things didn't happen or that's been so long ago, just read about them and refresh your memory. That's, that's always something you need to keep there. And, uh, in your mind that, you know, you don't ever want to see anything like that ever happen again, even nothing, even close to it. to that. OK, my friend. Well, that's going to wrap us up here. But uh, so if uh, anybody wants to look for you out there on social media, I know you're on Twitter. Are you not?
1: I'm on Twitter at at Gray, M-A-R-T-G-R-A-Y. Yes, indeed. And I've got a blog, Too Dangerous for a Girl. Anyone who wants to visit, do feel free and leave a comment. That would be brilliant. But and, you know, I'm generally commenting all over the shop.
0: Yeah, you're not a hard guy to find out there. It's uh, you get on Twitter and like I said, look your name up on Twitter and you're always being, you know, part of the conversations with comics and you know anything else going on and one of the, you know, people on there, I know some people that aren't on Twitter or vaguely kind of on Twitter. There's this, you know, stigma out there that Twitter's this awful place, but I guarantee you if you follow Mart and be a part of the conversation with him, you'll have some fun, nice conversations and things will be respectful and you'll have a different opinion of Twitter.
1: Absolutely, and you can curate your Twitter timeline by you know having you know having people sort of shoved together. Like I have one, you know, a comic a comic friends list, and you just follow follow the lists that you want to follow, and mute the words that you want to avoid, and the people and the subjects that you want to avoid. You can, you know, it just takes a few minutes just to make your timeline a lot better
0: yep absolutely because you know like you said if you have a a group of people that you follow and interact with you know like you and i do there's a lot of really good people there and fun and respectful and you know we have a good time on there so uh definitely everybody look for mart on twitter and then definitely go to his blog too too dangerous for a girl that's another one where you talk about some new comics you know what you pick up uh on a week or every other week you know basis am i right
1: i do yeah generally weekly and occasionally i'll do you know, look look back at some old comics here and there, which I should do more of because they they tend to be quite popular posts, and I do enjoy them. So I should do more of that because as there's less and less coming out from well, especially DC and Marvel, it engages my interest, and I've got more and more things you know that I not that I could be writing about from books books on the bookshelf here that I've never read, or books that I have read. Yeah, I should mm. probably post <laughs> all requests considered yeah start going through those archives buddy <laughs> i
0: love the older material you know me <laughs>
1: i love it
0: i love it so all right well thanks again mart and uh, i'm gonna let you go here and then i'll be back in a minute to wrap things up hey everybody uh billy d jumping on here quick i totally forgot uh apologies to anyone that uh sent in feedback over the last uh, couple recordings to do the feedback segment, so apologies especially to Sean Ross and Mart, as, uh, like I said, I completely forgot, so I'm just going to jump on here quick and uh, rattle off some uh, feedback from the last uh, couple episodes, just so, you know, nobody feels, you know, short shrift from uh, taking the time out, because I definitely want to, you know, recognize uh, everybody, so if I do forget anybody, please forgive me, and, uh, you know, hey, DM me, the at all squadron account, or you know if you're an emailer send it into a oh world on fire podcast at com as well you can reach me either way and uh I'll, I'll definitely get your thoughts out here but uh i have to dive back a little bit here into the mailbag because back after the all-star squadron annual number three uh mark ray jumped on with uh thanks for another great show and happy new year and he said uh All-Star Squadron Annual 3 is a really great comic with Roy doing what he did best in the series, weaving together old bits of storyline into cohesive, if not necessarily needed, continuity. (laughs) So what if Alan wasn't chairman of the JSA? Readers could just assume he was busy, which turned out was the case anyway. Uh, It's only that GL admitted he was dropping the ball due to a rather harsh bit of business involving an unfortunate child and a tree that did more than simply eat kites. So yeah, if you remember back to Annual 3, you know, there was a a blast that went awry and uh, hit a tree that fell on a kid and killed a kid in that episode. So that was a, I'm sorry, that issue, that was pretty crazy. But um, he also goes on to say, the business with FDR made me smile. Just what was the urgency for the present to get the million dollars? It was rather suspicious if you ask me. (laughs) Uh, And he said, yes, Silver and Bronze Age Hawkman did indeed have a villain called Shadow Thief. Carl Sands was his name. And I thought I'd remembered that, but it might have been from the television show, I'm thinking. So it doesn't always stand a reason the same villains are on the television shows with, uh, you know, from the comics. We know sometimes they do create them wholesale. Um, he said, given time, Roy could have linked him to Ian Karkul, probably via post-crisis Land of Nightshades. I think Obsidian was recently linked to that under its Shadowlands name. Well, that's definitely news to me because I have not read anything that recent to know that, but thanks, Mark. Um... And then he said uh, the boring and Ordway art was a real treat. And he said, ditto on the Infantino and Giacoya and Nodell and Giella. Um, he said, so Wotan crushed a future president of the United States? He said, shame he never got the right one. <laughs> uh, our man calls Dr. Doog Chrome Dome, a not uncommon insult in comics, but shouldn't that apply only to robots? <laughs> he said, the Giffen art is jarring. Set aside... The old masters, but utterly gorgeous and really rather special. Um, he said, the house of flesh is really rather shocking. Well done for mentioning uh, Ed Gein or Ed Gein. I can't, I'm not sure how you pronounce that guy's name. Um, that was the old school creator. Um, and he said, gosh, Jay was rather ratty with Joan as she tried to work out the time business and put Lois right. I'd have bonked his shiny helmet if I were her. <laughs> he said, great job. Dan Thomas, uh, on the research. So yeah, if you recall, you know, Roy said his wife, uh, Dan D- Thomas did all the research for, you know, where all those historical figures were at the time, which was, uh, no, uh, small feat. Okay. So the next one is from Stephen Doan. Uh, this email came in, uh, about a week or so ago. So just after the last recording really aired and then, uh, That's why I'm sneaking it in on this one here, uh, the one I did with Mart. So he said, uh, The issues covered came just a few months after my young self had firmly jumped to the Marvel side of the street, but while on holiday visiting his aunt, his mom, and he went to town where he saw both issues on the spinner rack together. He goes, not uncommon in the U.K. at the time. The thought of Superman versus Shazam was enough to encourage a temporary defection back to D.C., but his mother wasn't keen on me buying both comics at once. He said, so we both knew that meant we'd be returning to the shop tomorrow. Um, he said, knowing there'd be a recap of previous events, inside I opted for part two, and after a nervous 24 hours, hoping nobody would buy it, I raced to the news agent and eagerly purchased issue 36. And he said, the cover of which is possibly my favorite of all time. And he said, silly memories like this often flood back when listening to your show, and I'm sure it's true for many listeners. So thank you, Steve uh, Doan. I appreciate that uh, tremendously. Um, So then we also got uh, one from, uh, again, uh, our buddy uh, uh, Mark Gray. He said, thanks for another top episode. I remember these issues well. It was a special treat having Rich Buckler back on the pencils for that first issue. No one could touch him when it came to showing the vibrancy of city streets. And I love the softness of the finishes provided by Richard Howe. And he said, uh, (laughs) as Sean mentioned in the episode, that he uh, loves Nocturna. That's one of his favorites. And He said, no one remembers her. She was around for ages, plotting to adopt little Jason Todd. If nothing else, Ed Hannigan and Dick Giordano's Little Nemo homage cover on Batman 377 puts her into the gallery of the unforgettable. And he said, I love the treatment of Wonder Woman in issue 36, such as her realizing that Superman would come to his senses halfway across the Atlantic, and pointing out that flying in an invisible plane is not for the nervous (laughs) As one who can never manage those glass floors at tourist attractions, I concur. (laughs) Yeah, I've been in uh, a very, very tall building. Uh, I think it might have been out in Chicago, and it had a portion where you could go out, um, and it was a glass floor, and you could see straight down. Uh, I think it was Chicago. I'm not sure. Maybe somebody can chime in if I'm wrong. But I think that's where it was. And uh, yeah, you looked I don't know how many stories down and it was a little unnerving. (laughs) And he says, uh, goes on to say Superman's moan about Captain Marvel being a knockoff made sense in a meta way, but not in the comic reality. Apart from being from his being strong and a flyer, they're barely similar. He may as well say the same thing about Wonder Woman. It's a shame Wonder Woman and Mary Marvel didn't talk about their mutual connection to Hippolyta, but maybe some other time. He said, inks again from Hal." And the Arvel Jones pencils are spectacular, especially that big splash fight you guys mentioned and his split. Mary Marvel looks so mean. Um, He said, I didn't miss the regular All-Stars at all. It was a real treat to have a JSA story. So uh, he said, anyway, that's it for me. Keep buying those war bonds. (laughs) So thank you to Mart for chiming in. Again, he's a good friend of the show and always uh, hitting uh, with the emails and the feedback since day one. And then now he's, you know, a good part of the show. So looking forward to recording with him some more. So, uh, okay, so on to the three issues that Martin and I covered, Uh, the feedback for that. I asked, you know, on uh, Twitter, you know, if anybody had any comments on those three issues. That was 38, 39, and 40. And uh, first off is 737 Almost Every Day is the (laughs) account name. says, this trio of covers absolutely blew my mind as a kid. I was aware of history and KKK and all, but it wasn't something that had showed up in comics for me till then. It was probably the first step into, air quotes, comics aren't just for kids, for me. So, yeah, totally agree with that one. This is, uh, you know, for 1984, I was was pretty edgy. Uh, Next comment, (laughs) Drew, the savage ape man. (laughs) He says, I remember seeing the covers and being kind of shocked by the imagery. I really liked Amazing Man, couldn't believe he was a new character, not an oldie, and loved that his alter ego is Bill Everett. Nice homage. And then we have Husky Vegetarian, another good name there. As much as I loved that Amazing Man was a member of the All-Star Squadron, and this story arc in particular, I felt that, sadly, Truth, Red, White, and Black was closer to what World War II era black superhero experience would have been like. Uh, good point. I have read that story, although that story came, you know, uh, what, two, two or three decades maybe after this one. So, you know, it's you know probably, like I said, true. But you can also think, hey, this, this came out in 1984 and that came out much much later. So a little bit of difference in time there. Um, Visionary said, haven't read the story in years, but those covers by Jerry Ordway are pure masterclass in storytelling and marketing you would never see those now, unfortunately, and then John Joshua, uh, chimed in and said, you know, Jerry did indeed ink the first two, they were penciled by Rick Hoberg, and the third is by Arvel Jones and Aubrey Bradford, and I had, you know, commented on the show about that to Mart as well, Aubrey Bradford, I'd never heard that name before, um, so I'll definitely have to look for, uh, look in the archives, you know, comic database or somewhere to see more of uh, his work, and then, uh, uh, again, friend of the show, Stephen E. Shen says, woefully behind in listening to your podcast, which is why I have not commented in a while. Working to fix this ASAP. Well, Stephen, uh, you're in for some uh, fun episodes then, buddy. Maybe you can binge some and catch up. Always appreciate the feedback. Uh, the Robot of Death says, stunning story and very brave. Even in today, it holds a very important message. And absolutely. And uh, Martin, I did touch uh, touch on that in the episode. You know, it's it's... It's absolutely true. Spot on. Agreed. Uh, Ken B. said, All-Star Squadron is one of the first comics I remember reading, and being from Detroit, rediscovering the series as an adult, and seeing my city in it was just awesome. Everything about this arc was on point to and surprisingly relevant today still. Again, absolutely. The development versus gentrification issue is still a hot-button topic, as Detroit has been on the upswing the last 10 years or so. Who knows how COVID will affect... That when it is all said and done, but noteworthy regardless. Uh, and then Jason M. says, The Amazing Man character was introduced in All-Star Squadron was one of the seven or so members who wasn't also a member of another team like Freedom Fighters or Seven Soldiers of Victory. Great costume and abilities. Yep, couldn't agree more, Jason. Uh, heroes United, incendiary cover, 38 aside, 38 to 40, were great story about how costume heroes need to fight um, for fellow Americans. Must be treated like human beings. Would have chosen more inspirational cover on 38. And 38 may have been too incendiary for non-All-Star readers. Yeah, I do agree with that. That's, you know, when you portray something very edgy like that, you know, you can uh, possibly, you know, lose people, especially if they're little kids and a parent sees that. They might think it's a little too much for a little kid. So, you know, uh, they might not buy it for them. But honestly, I think it's, I would read that comic to probably a 10 year old maybe even less than a 10 year old just so you know they could understand or start to understand that kind of stuff Uh, Shadow Punk says so cool believe me I can still smell these comics and Shadow Punk I love the smell of old comics as most collectors uh, of a certain uh, vintage do so uh, thanks for that comment then Timothy D. Ayers says I'd love to know how and why the monitor had a clan bot (laughs) and Martin I did touch on that briefly how you know, Roy and some other writers weren't real happy about it, but they were basically forced to shoehorn in uh <sighs> the monitor and the whole crisis thing. So we'll just move past that. Uh, Randy Matthews, I like that he covered this as a Southerner. It always bothered me that everyone acted like segregation and ethnicism were all all, all were all one race, only happened in the South. I always liked Amazing Man and thought this was one of his best appearances. Yeah, Randy, you know, absolutely. Yeah, racism is definitely not a thing just from the South, and let's, you know, some real talk here. It's just not something from the United States. It happens all over the world, and, you know, it's sad and disgusting, but, you know, hopefully people can change. So, okay, moving on. Joe Kushner said, Amazing Man has such great power set and is criminally underused. Uh, Totally agree, Joe. I like him a lot. Uh, Kathos767 said, That's surprisingly timely. (laughs) And then Timothy M. said, I want some amazing man back in DC Comics. Yep, I think it would be great if DC came back with the All-Star Squadron. Hey, get Roy to write it. And Jerry Ord, way to draw it. How about that, DC? Uh, (laughs) you're one of my favorite accounts, the only American Captain Britain fan. I just reread this as a prep for listening to the upcoming episode. Through 2022 eyes, it was rough. I feel like there was some good people on both sides of the thing going on at times, but I am judging it by today's standard. And, you know, I think what he's trying to basically say is that, you know, there were people that were, you know, obviously racist idiots, and there were other people that kind of got swept up in it that I would bet probably eventually saw the light and the air of their ways, or at least I hope they did. Uh, James Cross said, I have huge amounts of respect for what Thomas was going for, but felt The way it was resolved sort of let those racists off the hook. You don't need gadgets to cause those sort of attacks, and it felt like an unnecessary comic bookification of the issue, in my opinion. And yeah, agreed, uh, James. We do talk about that and how, you know, if it was written today, it would probably be written a little bit differently, for sure. Um, At the time, it it still, I think, made a good point, but, uh, you know, it still, again, is a comic book that was aimed towards younger readers, so I kind of get where Roy was coming from with that one. But, yeah, I think today it would really be, uh, he'd he'd write a different story today. Uh, Tim P. said, 38 had me scared that it was steel under the hood. 39, (laughs) who got pink slime on Robot Man? I'll have to go back and look for that. And number 40 had number 39 as its front-pace pick. And it said, Johnny, quick, to a racist thug, you still got 32 teeth, pal. How'd you like to try for none? (laughs) And I uh, responded that, yeah, Johnny had some good one-liners in this one so all right well that is all the feedback um that i got thanks for everybody for the likes the retweets the interactions um you know i really really appreciate it and uh you know thanks for listening in and responding as always and you know looking forward to uh keep rolling with the show here every couple weeks with mart and sean and you know if there were pops up a time where either of them can't jump in you know um another good buddy of the show uh has uh, offered to pop in there as well so definitely going to hear martin sean and then you know you never know maybe someone else too all the way uh, through our journey for the rest of the series so once again thanks everybody take care